our report card is out revealing how your legislators voted on pro-family issues. Some people scored 100 and some scored zero. We're going to talk about that. Plus, is there a Loudoun County Mafia trying to intimidate parents? And we've got some good news. High schoolers are pushing back against the woke. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, you know, several days ago, the whole world was watching as King Charles was coronated. And it made me think of a little joke we have around here at the office about Victoria Day. In Canada, people still celebrate Victoria Day in memory of Queen Victoria. But we just thought it'd be fun to put it on the calendar as a joke in the office. And so I thought it would be good to start out today's show just asking you, what would the day look like if you really were Queen Victoria for that day? (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, I have to start out by saying I actually used to get presents for Victoria Day. I used to, I convinced people to celebrate this. I mean, if your name is on an official calendar, on everyone's official calendar, very few people get that. And so, so yeah. So literally, one time I got a gift with like, like you know, like a like royalty, like um, gold nuggets, like a little treasure chest, wow. and like little I shouldn't jewels. have brought this up. Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't have because um, I'm I'm just saying the old team. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing y'all. But um, yeah. So it's still on the calendar there at the at work, which is really fun. But um. I guess if I were queen for a day, I, I jokingly say, like, uh, maybe maybe I should say world peace, you know? Like, I'd make sure everything's great. <laughs> no, we're uh, not on Miss America, so it's okay. okay. You don't have to go there. All right. That's fine. Um, <laughs> no, but, you know, watching the coronation, I think actually the thing that I was most intrigued at was the kids, right? These little kids and how they are really trained at an early age what to do, what to not do. And I thought, you know, if I were royalty and could get help in training my children, that's really what, I mean, I know you're supposed to want all these great, important things when you're queen, but really, I just would want the help. Okay, so in other words, on Queen Victoria Day, your kids would do everything Perfectly. And even anticipate it without you having to say anything. Yes, yes. They know not to say inappropriate things. They know when to wave. They know, I mean, you don't, they can't just break out and have a fit in public. My my kids never seem to care where I am. If they want to have, you know, their own little meltdown, they're just center of the universe at that point. And I don't know how the royalty gets that figured out, but I like that. All right. I might need to ask your executive assistant because she might have some ideas on what Queen Victoria Day would really need to look like. Do you have any thoughts? (laughs) Well, we'd for sure have lots of Coke Zero. Yes. Yes. And maybe like a catered Cobb lunch salad because, <laughs> oh, you know, we've so got true. to. There you go. And, and then, of course, cupcakes for dessert because it's cupcakes. <laughs> May- yes. Maybe Maybe a Queen Victoria sponge cake instead of... Instead of <laughs> I don't cupcakes. know if I'd like that as much as cupcakes. All right. Just stick with the traditional Seems like cupcakes. it needs to be scones if it were, well, well Canada. Right. Canada's a little different if we were actually. I don't know. We won't get too complicated <laughs> about this, but I think we should have a rule that calories do not count for you that on Queen Victoria good. Day. I like that. Maybe for all of us. That's good. All Mother's right, well, Day, too. All of them. <laughs> all right, all we're, holidays. We're expanding here. <laughs> Um, Well, we better get into today's topic before we get more holidays for Victoria on the calendar. Um, Let's talk about Loudoun County. What's happening in Loudoun County? It appears that there is the development of what really amounts to kind of a Loudoun County mafia that wants to intimidate parents. And we, you know, it seems like Loudoun County just stays in the news. (laughs) Yes, it does. Let me bring everyone up to speed on this. You might remember back when there were all these school board controversies that really hit the news and really made national media. And back then we learned about this Facebook group that it appears they were putting together a docs list of parents who dared to publicly speak out on critical race theory at the school board meeting. 
and they were suggesting how these parents should be publicly humiliated and basically targeted. And now it looks like it's deja vu all over again, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, thanks to a whistleblower, we basically have just learned about a situation that's been going on, a whole nother Facebook group. Um, this And it that, that first one wasn't a one-off incident, that this this is still has been happening past that. So basically, they unveiled the existence of a group, and get the name, the Loudon Love Warriors. I I just, anyway... Um, but clearly, they're fighting for anything but love. Um, these guys, I, I just, anyway, so this whistleblower reveals that this group basically has created a list of 100 people to target. And, of course, there's parents on the list, parents that have been um, testifying at the school board. But it also um, actually has people like Governor Yunkin, Attorney General Jason Miaris, and it has even, like, Cornerstone Church. And to be honest with you, I sat there and thought, I want to see the rest of the list because we don't know what all was on that list. Yeah. But given the Family Foundation took Loudoun County School Board to court and won, I kind, of, on the list. I kind of feel like we're probably on that list. I yeah. mean, we don't know because we haven't seen the whole thing, but I'm a little concerned. But yeah, they even have they even have the Christian school that goes with the Cornerstone Church yes. on the list, which I think every parent should be horrified if their kid's yeah. school is on some kind of target list. I mean, we're we're reaching a whole new level if you feel that you have to put an entire church body membership on a docs list that you cannot even tolerate an entire church being true to their beliefs. This we is- should applaud them that they've done so much and so much engagement that they actually made the list because that means they're actually paying attention to what's going on in their community. So I give yeah. them that. All right. Well, I just this all probably will have to go through an investigation. So this is all according to a whistleblower and these media reports. Right. But I think there's a lot to be concerned about here. And and Governor Yunkin was obviously concerned because supposedly he's on the he's list. On the list. <laughs> so let's just hear from him for a minute. When a whistleblower asked a person in the Loud and Love Warriors group about one of the people on the list, the person in the Loud and Love Warriors group allegedly said, quote, we are going to burn him into the ground, unquote. This is the kind of standard that Attorney General Garland has set when he allows parents to be called terrorists simply for standing up for their children. I mean, I, I, am, I am just uh, just stunned of this revelation. I am really looking forward to, to digging into this issue with our Attorney General. At first blush, this is just absolutely stunningly bad, and uh, we need to make sure we get to the bottom of it. I mean, I think Governor Yunkin makes a really good point that he brings up the fact that, really, when you have a U.S. Attorney General in, um, you know, in Merrick Garland saying that these parents are, you know, domestic terrorists, right? Remember, we, we had all that going on, that he's basically in Inviting this kind of behavior. And so I, I think when you make school boards sort of something that should be FBI level, then of course people react to that and they're they're playing right into that. Well, is he going to investigate since he was so eager to go after all these parents speaking up? Is he now going to investigate the people threatening or you'd, you'd like to think so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope there would be some level of consistency. Um well, you know, it wasn't just this list of 100. There was just an unbelievable amount of vitriol, apparently, on this face group page postings and private chats that's really actually quite scary. So let's just give a couple of examples. To start with, there was this man in his 60s that got up at the school board meeting and spoke against the pushing of gender ideology on the kids. And Um, So this group started posting on that, apparently, about plans to find his employer, to get him fired. Uh, It looks like someone in the real estate industry on this group may have actually used their connections to get his address out there. Um, So I just want to read some of the comments that were reportedly 
posted by this group just to give you an idea of the insane level of this. So uh, regarding this, this man in his 60s, they're saying, apparently, uh, let's make him unemployable by love or by force. Wish I had footage of every person who clapped for him and give them the same ousting. And then someone's on there saying that they need to ruin his livelihood, which I think it looks like maybe they certainly tried to do. Um, I know I'm, I'm sharing a lot of posts here, but I think it's worth sharing some of this stuff because there were other posts and also some of this in private group chats where they were apparently talking about people, not just him, but people that were speaking alongside him or people that were like-minded at these school board meetings. So I'm just going to get through some of these because it's just, it's really quite something. So here's one. I'm telling you something, something in all caps, something has to be, happen to one of them, something public and permanent. Lines drawn in the cement. Lives need to be ruined beyond repair. Let's actually destroy them, grind them. And I'm just going to wind up with this one because it, it's really the kicker here. So then someone posted also, someone going to get hurt on their side, and I hope I get to do it. I'm so ready to show up with guns, LOL. I love how they put LOL at the end as if that like diminishes that they just basically made a threat um, to this guy's life. Um, yeah, I... And, and honestly, what's interesting is that the one guy, the, his big sin, his big thing that he did that got everybody so mad was he went and quoted scripture. So, he, you know, he apparently quoted that Matthew 18 about, you know, if anyone um, causes a little one to stumble, better that a millstone be put around his neck and be thrown into the lake. And so he he quotes that. And I guess that just lit them up. I, I don't know. They but tried to twist that into hate speech, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, but it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> when scripture becomes hate speech, we've got a problem. Yes, scripture has some very strong language, but it is certainly far from hate speech. And I think it's really important that another man is saying that he actually lost his job as a result of these people sending something to his employer. And he says he claims that they actually reported him to the FBI, the IRS and DHS. So, I mean, that's a stunner. These people were on a war path, oh, yeah. apparently. Yeah. yeah, and they were executing their, their, you know, a lot of people complain, and a lot of people have opinions about what other people do, but they were actually acting on them, or well, so it, it says. I got to hear your perspective on why is this happening, because this is not a one-off situation. We know this started way back in 2021, and it just keeps happening. And in my mind, if, if you have a winning argument and you're on the right side of things, you don't need to resort to bullying tactics, right? Um, so what, what is going on? What's the bigger picture here? Yeah, I mean, I think this is all an effort to circumvent the First Amendment. This is the idea that, like, we're not going to stand up for free speech. We're, when people speak, you know, they know as government officials, somehow they're going to have to let them speak. We've proven that by taking them to court to say you can't box these parents out. So now they're trying to work to shut them down in another way so yes. they can't have their message in the school board. You know, if you get fired, you're going to be a lot quieter about what you believe. Same thing if you get reported to any of these. You know, it just it's amazing to me that people are going to this length. And you just sit there and think, is it that harmful to hear someone else's opinion in a school board meeting? You would think that's been the American way for <laughs> our entire history. That is an excellent point you're making because we won in court, right, with Loudoun County. Yeah. That they had to have open meetings. Yes. They couldn't arrest people for trespassing that have a right to be in there. Yeah, I mean, they tried to physically box them out, but when they couldn't, now they're doing this. I mean, so they're not winning with logic or in court. So this is what I guess you resort to. Yeah. Right? I, if you are a leftist. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I hate to say it, but um, I think the fact that this group, and maybe we should talk about that, has some connections to the government. Mm -hmm. That's maybe the most disturbing part about this. We actually saw in another county where someone actually, somebody in the audience filmed a guy testifying, didn't like what he said, and he was a pastor, and I will tell you, he 
it was the it was the kindest message. It was nothing that I would have ever mm. thought was so offensive. But they actually turned it into his. He was a bivocational, so turned it into another employer and got him fired from his other job. So we've seen this before, but we didn't see it connected to the government. So tell us about the connection with this group yes, and some of the people in in the school board. You know, news reports are saying that this group, number one, had connections with the Loudoun County Commonwealth Attorney, and I apologize if I don't get this right, but I'm going to try, Buddha Bibaraj, in addition to connections to county supervisor, school board chair, two school board members, the list goes on. That's just to name a few. Um, but again, I do want to clarify, these officials I'm listing weren't in the group making comments, but they have, it looks like, some pretty good connections within the group to them, like staff members or associates. Yeah. Um, looks like maybe there are even connections to the Facebook group's administrators. So all this is coming out with this whistleblower, and we're going to have more investigation. But what do you make of this, Victoria, just this trend of trying to dox your own neighbors in your own community, number one, and then these connections, every time this happens, we see these connections to government officials. Yeah, I think that's the most disturbing part. I mean, you know, people are people and they're the people that are, you know, unhinged and, and over the top all over the place. But the fact that they are connected to these elected officials and it just makes you wonder, honestly, are these elected officials as I mean, they're obviously pretty extreme or their staffers are. I mean, they're so extreme with the staff that are connected there. And you just wonder, did they run that way? Did people actually elect people knowing they were this kind of person? Or is it we run and act like we're normal? And yet five seconds later, we find out, no, they're actually in secret groups trying to dox people. So I, I don't know. I'm disturbed. That, that is such an excellent point. I think it does reveal the extremism of these government officials. you got to ask about that. And then you got to wonder if these people assume, hey, when they're elected, are they going to back me up with stuff like this? I, I love that point. Um, I think that's really appropriate. It's something we need to think about. Um, but the good news is <laughs> there are some high school students, you know, when adults get immature, <laughs> Maybe God uses younger people hey. in a culture. And there are high school students actually speaking up and showing courage and pushing back against the woke. One video that's been making the rounds lately is this very brave 12-year-old in Massachusetts who got disciplined by his school for, now just, you know, prepare yourself because it's very disturbing. <laughs> his T-shirt said, there are two genders. Only two that, genders, I think it's there said. are there only, only two genders. Two genders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he gets disciplined for this. But then he spoke about it at the school board meeting. So let's just listen to that clip. I never thought that the shirt I wore to school on March 21st would lead me to speak with you today. On that Tuesday morning, I was taken out of gym class to sit down with two adults for what turned out to be a very uncomfortable talk. I was told that people were complaining about the words on my shirt that my shirt was making some students feel unsafe. Yes, words on a shirt made people feel unsafe. They told me that I wasn't in trouble, but it sure felt like I was. I told, I was told that I would need to remove my shirt before I could return to class. When I nicely told them that I didn't want to do that, they called my father. Thankfully, my dad supported my decisions and came to pick me up. What did my shirt say? Five simple words. There are only two genders. Nothing harmful, nothing threatening. Just a statement I believe to be a fact. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I, I also have to bring up the girl in California. I don't know if folks have seen this one, but it was a high, it's a high school girl who is being very, very vocal at a at a board meeting saying, look, 
you are letting biological males into our bathrooms and that's not acceptable. And she was so strong. And I just think that's hard for kids. I'm really impressed when I see because their peers, I mean, they have to really stand out from their peers. And she's just saying like, do something about this. Make it make it stop where you don't have yeah. men in my, in my bathroom. I'm not sure whether to be encouraged that we see youth starting to speak up on this or we should be concerned that it's gotten to this level. It's requiring kids it's because requiring the adults aren't doing yeah. what they need to do. It's a great question. Yeah. Well, moving on to some happier news, we have just released our 2023 report card on how your representatives in the General Assembly voted on pro-family issues. It's out now. Just go to familyfoundation.org and click on the banner you'll see there. And this is going to be a great resource for you. But Victoria, can you explain to us why you consider this such an important priority at the Family Foundation to do this report card every year and how people can use it as a practical tool? Yeah, I mean, this is a tool we've actually been putting out since the 90s. And so there's just a really interesting history of this. But it is just a way to look at how your legislators vote. So we want to be an organization that provides transparency for people, that they you know, you vote for an elected official and then they go to Richmond and do you know what they actually do? Do they do what they say they're going to do? And that's really what this is about is is looking and being able to say, oh, now I understand. And it just because we try to select a wide array of issues, it gives people an opportunity to go, OK, this is the overall picture of my legislator and how they line up on family issues. Yeah, because you analyze hundreds of votes. Our team yeah. analyzes yeah. hundreds of votes and distills this down for people, and it's nonpartisan. Yeah. We're looking at the issues. Um, can you explain the scoring system real quick? Yeah, I mean, essentially, there are 20 key votes over the course of the last two main sessions. Um, we do it every other year because we want to make sure that there are good floor votes that really indicate how they are on the issue. So we want to get enough of those. And um, and basically, you're going to see some on life or marriage, school choice, um, you know, parental rights. So it's kind of a wide array. And we yes, we go through the hundreds of bills that we work on during those two sessions. And we try to find the ones that are um, the most reflective and also uh, you know we want to make sure they're bills that went before the full floor the full house so there's a so you're really looking at you know more than 10 or 15 votes on your legislator you can get a good reflection of of how they are across the board all right one thing that I found really interesting was looking at the disparity between the liberals and conservatives because you can have a high of hundred percent or as low as zero and the Republicans have a nice healthy range, probably the lowest one started at 85% voting well on pro-family bills. And then we had a lot of 100 percenters. Uh, I think we counted 56 in the House and Senate, 100 percenters. But things change a little when you look at the Democrat side. Um, there are way too many zeros, first of all. That's disturbing, just zero. Uh, but I think the highest ranking on the Dem side was 45%. That's the high mark. Um, I think that was Linwood Lewis, by the way. On the House side for Democrats, they only got as high as 11%. So give us the takeaway. What should people make of this disparity? Yeah, and you can actually see it over time. We actually have a graph that kind of shows over time. I think the gap is widening between the two parties, and people know that. They feel that the just the ideological divide is more stark. Um, and some people describe it this way. They say, you know, Republicans are electing more to more people towards the right and Democrats are, you know, electing people that are more towards the left. And that doesn't necessarily speak to the average person that considers them uh, themselves a Republican or a Democrat, but it's sort of how the process goes. And so we're seeing that. And I and I do think we see, interestingly, particularly in the House, the Democrats vote on um, block much more consistently than the Republicans. They just uh, typically vote 
everybody's voting the same way on things and it seems like they're a little bit more I don't know if I don't know if that's a, in the caucus discussion or they really all just believe exactly the same mm -hmm. things more than the Republicans so that you can see that a little bit as well so it's an interesting process but um, it, it just shows you that 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 we just we just have some real differences on the critical family issues yeah that's interesting the leftists tend to vote more in lockstep as part of it uh, we notice but, it yeah we feel it when we're there and you can see it on the scorecard yeah well i can't help but ask the question maybe a whole lot of people want to know and that is about some of the republicans that scored the lowest so first of all i'm looking on the house side you've got carrie corner at around 88 percent what's behind that yeah, I mean, she just there's a couple of votes that um, she did not vote in according to what we think is the right vote. So there, there was one on anti-CRT, um, so, uh, you know, critical race theory and how that shows up in schools. Um, there was also one on family life education and that being we've been for literally since our founding trying to make that an opt in program, not an opt out program. So parents should proactively turn over to government the right to teach their kids about sex versus it's just assume that the government's going to teach unless you jerk your kid out that that those bills. Um, she was not on board with us. And that that is disappointing. And um, and uh, it is sort of this connection to you, you just there's some legislators that that you can tell are more connected to the teachers union and what they say carries more weight and that's disappointing okay. in this case for sure and then I have to note if you look at her score very carefully you also see that there are several times where there are non votes so a non vote you'll see an X instead of a plus or a minus on a scorecard what that means is they didn't vote and it it, it means they're, they're they're there they just don't vote and in one sense for in order to get a bill passed, that can be helpful. So let's say she opposes um, a, a non-vote. She, she was a non-vote on Sage's Law, which we've talked about a lot on this on this podcast. Um, it could be that she was opposed to it, but her caucus said, look, let us get this across the line. Just don't harm the bill. That is sometimes why people are there and they don't vote. I can't speak to exactly. I can't speak to intention unless she has said her intention, but there are several non-votes. And on the scorecard, Non-votes don't count against you. They just don't. So they increase the percentage of how much every other vote counts for you, but they don't actually harm you. So her score would be a lot lower, actually, if she had taken some votes, because um, some of those she did take votes in committee. So we sort of do know on, on some of those um, how it would have gone. So I guess we need to be thankful that she was willing to take a walk for her caucus in order to get the bills across if that's what happened. But yeah. um, I'd really like to get the ideological difference worked out. I'd really like to help her understand why something like Sage's Law is so important. Um, you know, th there was another non-vote um, that she had also on fairness in, in girls' sports. I feel like as a Republican who we generally have many aligned ideologies with on family issues in her case, uh, why we can't get her to see that, that, that males competing against females wouldn't be fair. Well, I got to wonder why any Republican is voting against something like basic opt-in, right. you know, parental uh, rights parental at the rights. most fundamental yeah. level. What, I mean, given the climate, why would any Republican? The only reason you do that is if you really are are hearing and uh, beholden to what the education establishment is saying, mm -hmm. because those are the people that oppose the parents' mm -hmm. rights. Okay. Well, she wasn't alone. Um, let's look at the Senate side where we've got Shabbat. Siobhan, Siobhan Donovan, yeah. uh -huh. coming in with a low 70%. Now, some of her votes might surprise people. Right? Yeah, we're back with the opt-in bill, um, again, the Family again. Life Education Bill. And that's a parental rights bill. And there's, there's some other parental rights issues that she voted against, which was uh, actually clarifying that parents have really great ability to access a child's medical records. That's been a, a, a real discussion. There was a bill around that. 
and she voted against it. And I got to be honest, because she's a doctor, that carried more weight. When a doctor opposes something like access to medical records, it's you know it's hard to sway everybody else that that the parents do have that right. So that was that was incredibly disappointing. Um, Now, what I do have to say before we you know as we just kind of rip on these folks for these couple of votes, um, just because their scores aren't what we want them to be or they're not aligned with every issue. They have elections this year, but sometimes you have to look at their opponents. So I feel like we have to note, for example, Siobhan Donovan's opponent in her Senate race is is Skylar Van Valkenburg. His score was a 10. So we can be disappointed and keep working on folks, but people do have to the, the point of a report card is to compare when you need to in an election to be able to know, you know, it's not, is it 100, yes or no, am I going to vote for this person? Sometimes it's, is it 100, and also what is their opponent? Because you got to look at the whole picture. So yeah. I do want to mention that. Yeah. One question we've been getting a lot of is why Tim Anderson, Delegate Tim Anderson, got 100%, but he introduced a bad bill on marriage. Can you shed some light on that? Yes, he did. He introduced the marriage amendment repeal. So that was pretty devastating to have somebody do that, particularly somebody that is aligned with us in many other ways, as you can see by the 100%. Um, And people need to understand the construction of the report card. um, You can introduce a bill, but if it doesn't make it through a committee, even if it's a terrible bill, it's probably not going to end up on the report card because you don't have the full House or the full Senate voting on it. So if that bill hadn't died in the House, if it had actually gone from instead of dying in that committee, it had actually at least gone to the full floor House vote, that bill would have been on there and he would have had a, a bad score. So sometimes the committee saves somebody from the score impacting, you know, because yeah. they've done something um, not so helpful. Because it wasn't a vote that was counted. Correct, counted. correct. Yeah. And okay. there's some complications sometimes with the version of the bill. You know, a Senate will have a version of a bill and a House will have a version of a bill. So occasionally people get a little bit better than they probably should. Um, he's another one that he's running for a Senate seat. He's in a competitive primary for a Senate seat. So, um, you know, people do need to know that that's part of what he did this year, even though unfortunately the report card doesn't reflect that. Well, and as our policy director pointed out to me, he did vote against... against- the other marriage bill. Yeah, right. so we, the previous year, they introduced a re- marriage amendment repeal, and it was one that actually so redefined marriage that it would have allowed polygamous marriage. It didn't even define it between two people. And he did vote correctly on that one. So we needed to give him credit because that's the one that we put on the scorecard, and that was even worse, was worse. than this one. They're, now, they're, bad, they're both bad, but this was, um, this was, that was the worst one. All right, just to mention the good people, the 100 percenters out there that we are losing this year because they're retiring. What do people need to pay attention in that regard? Yeah, we've mentioned this before. Some of the retirements are really hard to take. We're going to lose 100 percenter Kathy Byron, who's probably been 100 percent every year she's been in office. Um, Rob Bell is another one, Delegate Bell. I mean, he's probably been 100 percent the entire time he's been in office and now he's retiring. And on the Senate side, Senator Newman, I mean, I can't imagine he's ever been anything other than 100 percent. So these are big losses, and we really hope their replace, replacements are going to pick up that mantle and carry it on and still be 100%. So that's why the primaries that are going on right now and then the general election, really important. Let's talk about those key dates. So we've got the June 20th primary coming up, and then after that, Tuesday, November 7th, and every seat in the House of delegates and the Senate will be up for re-election. Yeah, this is a chance to, if you don't like what you've been seeing, this is our chance to improve it. So as we have been saying a lot, we've you can look at the House scores and know we got a lot through the House and we blocked a lot of bad bills in the House, but that was not the case in the Senate. And so people really need to be marking this on their calendar and paying attention. Um, some areas have um, had or are about to have 
firehouse primaries or other types of um, nomination contests. So you really have to know your area. You have to know your race. And then if you're a primary, you're on June 20th. And so because, again, that could be the difference between a 70 percent, let's say you're a Republican, a 70 percent Republican or 100 percent Republican on who you choose to be the nominee. And then, of course, the general election. So very important. All right. So remind us, how do people get these report cards and how do they use them to make a difference? Yeah, you can go on our website and you can either order a bunch that you take to your church. A lot of people bring them to their church or their civic group, or you can simply go onto the electronic version. You know, our website will lays it out for you. So if you're just looking to use the information individually, that's a simple way to do it as well. So, yeah, we really want people to use these. We Typically, we send um, just tons to churches that have asked for them over the years and they put them out for their congregations to be knowledgeable and is there a suggested donation People yeah we do suggest a donation okay. um to, it's a it's a family foundation action product because okay. um that's you know we're telling people this is a good score and a bad score and so um donations to family foundation action are really appreciated for that okay well it's that time again Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, sometimes we have what's known as inconceivable updates. And we've got one of those for you this week. Some of you may remember a while back when we covered this ridiculous effort to try to force more people to eat bugs, to introduce bugs in their diet. And the idea is that this is going to help save the climate. And the justification that I've heard is that a lot of animals, like cows, for instance, do things like belch methane into the environment. And supposedly this is really warming up the climate in a dangerous way. And, you know, I can't, I can't make this stuff up. But this is what they are using to justify that we all need to go to a bug-based diet now. But as you can imagine, this isn't going over so well with most of the adults around the, the globe. Yeah. So I guess what they're doing now is they're adjusting the strategy. And now they're basically trying to target kids to be the ones with this. You know, their promotion is to kids to be the ones to eat it. So, you know, I guess if adults won't try it, you know, kids will try anything, right? Yeah, what are those old-time commercials? Yeah, Mikey, so, yeah. Mikey, Mikey would try everything. Uh, <laughs> now, we, we like just it. dated ourselves on this yeah, podcast, but sure carry did. on so I don't feel old. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, there's been a series of headlines about this, that there's been this study or this effort being rolled out in the U.K., and here's a headline. I'm just going to put this on the screen for our YouTube viewers, but the headline says, Scientists hope to feed primary school children edible insects to make the U.K. greener. So we're, we have scientists getting involved now to push this on kids. But let me just read the first sentence in this article that has this headline. Quote, children are to be fed bugs as part of a plan to get a new generation to switch from meat to insects and potentially persuade their parents to follow their lead. Uh I mean, you know, we can laugh about this, but, you know, this isn't the only area that they're trying to do this in. This is a general strategy. We have seen this. We just keep pushing things at kids, hoping that the rest of society will, will pick up on it. And, you know, I, I think of the things in the, the much more dangerous areas like transgender experimentation. Um, that's obviously the scariest one. But even the whole idea of, like, we're going to uh, <laughs> go ahead and have drag queens at preschool and kindergarten events, you know, little kid events, um, or even the idea that we're going to push these these harmful books into the middle schools I think they do intentionally keep trying to start it young in order to get it to spread 
That's exactly right. And, you know, we see these efforts as well of adults trying to use kids as tools in their political agenda through all of these little kids going out on the street during the school day to march, on, you know, about these political activist causes. And I just want to flash an image on the screen here for our YouTube viewers of these little kids in Albemarle County marching for climate activism. And this is, you know, this is a little further back, um, but this has continued in Virginia. We have hundreds of kids across the state marching on these political causes. Well, yeah, you can't forget the time where we had all the kids walk out on the transgender issues, right? It was this big school oh. walkout, and it was planned by an entity, not by the kids themselves. It was, we, you know, it was orchestrated, and the kids were kind of tools in the in the arsenal to, to, you know, to move a political agenda. Yeah, and you know kids as young in that picture are not just coming up with this, you know, this by themselves. They're being right. manipulated into this. And that does remind me of a speaker that we had at one of our Family Foundation events the other day. Her name's Carol Markowitz. Some of you may have seen her on Fox News, uh, but she co-authored a book called Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. And basically, she was giving a warning to us, these protests, turning kids into little protesters in the street, is not happening by accident. Tell us a little bit about what she was saying. Yeah, I mean, I think she's very clearly saying that there's an effort by adults to use kids to become warriors for their cause. And I think she's, she's written a whole book on stolen youth and just all of what's going wrong in the, in the political world with our kids. Yeah, and she comes from a family that escaped communist Russia. Yeah, pretty amazing. Um, and then just, she's just, I mean, she just talked about living in New York and how much she's yeah. loved New York. And she's kind of known because she basically had decided I had to pick up my family. And she, you know, like, I'm going to have to pick up my family and move into Florida because it, things have gone so crazy. Well, it was just pretty emotional hearing her talk about coming from that communist background that she's seen this pattern of totalitarian governments using the same strategy yeah. to brainwash the children first. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess this means this week's Inconceivable is going to have to go to um, the, the scientists that are trying to force kids to eat bugs because they're joining this bandwagon, you know, they're jumping on the bandwagon of adults that are uh, trying to turn kids into political tools. Well, thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia. Don't forget to share our podcast and subscribe to our playlist. If you're on uh, listening to us on Spotify or Apple, you can help us get the word out by giving us a five-star review if you like what you're hearing. And we'll see you next week. Remember, we are stronger when we speak together.